Hi everyone, it's Isaac Smolden, the production manager here at my house. Today's episode of My Voice is a little bit longer and also a little more uncensored than it would normally be. We are dealing with some pretty heavy and serious stuff, and so on top of our normal explicit content warning, just a reminder that if you have any small children that you are listening with, or if you are someone that struggles with substance abuse or sexual abuse, this episode may be especially triggering. Without any further ado, here's Mike and our guest with the 10th episode of My Voice. My Voice is a chance for those who have struggled with addiction, homelessness, depression, and domestic violence to have a candid conversation about their life experience, current situation, and future goals and aspirations. Every episode is conducted anonymously to facilitate a comfortable and safe place for guests to tell their story. My Voice is hosted by Mike Sisson, who works as a case manager at the My House facilities in Wasilla, Alaska. We now join a My Voice conversation already in progress. If the Zompocalypse started today, where is the first place you would go and why? I would actually go to the army surplus stores and rate those first because then you get the majority of the crazies out from the grocery stores. Um, and then actually instead of hitting the grocery stores, I would go to farms so I could uh, loot what I can carry from there and uh, it'll regrow eventually and I'm not going to take the surplus of a farm, right? So instead of getting stuff that's going to be perishable long-term and not very nutritious or healthy to sustain me. That's what I do. So. Excellent. Where were you born? I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Have you lived in Alaska your entire life? I have not. So when I was roughly two years old, my biological mother and my biological father had split up. There was a lot of domestic violence that caused my mom to take me and my older brother to California to go live with who eventually became my stepdad. Uh, They were all friends in high school, so they knew each other pretty well. Then from there, my stepdad was a staff sergeant in the Army, and we got stationed in Fort Hood, Texas. So I lived there for a couple of years on base, and then we eventually got our own home in Killeen, Texas, which is just outside of Fort Hood. Then when I was around 11... My dad had fought for custody again for me and my brother once he was able to financially afford to do so. Then we moved back up to Alaska. Originally, the custody agreement was that I was going to be spending summers here in Wasilla with my dad and school years in Anchorage with my mother. Due to my mom's own personal reasons, she chose to leave state. So I ended up moving in full time with my biological dad. Who, yeah, And I've kind of been here since. So, All right. So you moved around quite a bit, it sounds like. Yeah. Pretty good number of times. Yeah, decent amount. Yeah, I mean, my mom's mental health was was interesting because my mom, I figured out later in life, I put two and two together, that my mom would basically, in order to get bills paid and to feed her addiction, she would sell herself in essence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really hard to realize as a teenager later on in life. You know, I didn't, 
growing up, I didn't know that that was weird. I didn't know that, I didn't really know that moms laying in bed all day was not okay. I didn't, or like not normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, like I've, I always got told that, you know, like siblings look out for each other, like you take care of each other. I didn't realize that, uh, like I knew it was kind of weird when my little brother started calling me mom before he called my mother mom. That was a little weird. <laughs> you know, by this point, I hadn't had any contact with my biological dad uh, since I was about five years old, right when we moved to Texas, and that was really hard. Uh, I remember having no contact, anything like that, and then one day I was checking the mail, like, to get outside and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. I just stayed inside all day taking care of the girls, and I went and checked it, and then there were two letters, one for me and one for my brother, and me and my brother never got mail. And then I saw who it was from, and I knew my dad's name. So I brought them to my mom, and my mom just, like, the look of fear on her face was crazy. I still remember it in my brain. And we got to open them. Inside was some cash, a call card, I think a gift, just, like, ways to contact him, basically, phone numbers. And my mom told us at that point it was up to us whether or not we were to call him. My brother wanted nothing to do with him. Um, my mom, there was a lot a lot of things my mom said that didn't really add up over time. So I'm not sure what's real and what's not. I think my mom, in the midst of her addiction, got a lot of things confused. I think there's some validity to some of her stories, but I, I wasn't there. I couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. But I remember like sitting in our backyard thinking, uh, really contemplating life. <laughs> and I decided to call my dad. And I still remember. And you're 11? At this point? Uh, I was still, I was about 10 Ten. at this point. I hadn't turned 11 yet. And uh, I called my dad. He picked up the phone and I was like, hello. I was just like, hi, daddy. And uh, I, he, this, the pause, like the silence for like a solid 30 seconds. And you could hear like just the breaking of his voice when he said, hey. I ended up staying on the phone with him for about an hour. And so from there started... Um, the custody battle that my parents got into again that ended up in us moving up to Alaska. My, it came right at the time that my stepdad was um, either going to uh, continue his contract with the military or um, honorably discharge. He chose to discharge, and we moved up. And I spent, to my memory, a really good summer with my dad. Um, it was the first time I had lived in a home for a while where the adults weren't arguing and they weren't drunk all the time. My stepdad's also an alcoholic. So I was it was really just normalized for me. So it was weird that like my parents' dad and his fiance at the time they hadn't quite been married. It was weird that they could go days without even having a, a debate, really. It was Definitely just, it was kind of just waiting for that shoe to drop. Like every time they would start debating, it's like, okay, when you guys going to start screaming? Right when I went to go stay with my mom for the school year, we had been living in my grandma's uh, lower part of her house. Um, we were all kind of sharing one room because that's what we didn't really have like a place to live yet. And my stepdad had ordered pizza for dinner because he didn't want to cook. And my mom used that as an excuse to get into a really big fight, which previously wouldn't have been wouldn't have been different for us. It would have been pretty normal, but we had spent three months without that. And me and my brother got super overwhelmed, and we were like, we just want to go back to our dads. 
So after my stepdad left uh, for the night, he went to go stay with his friend. My mom packed me and the kids up, and we went to Wasilla, where my mom was going to go stay with her sister who lived there, and she dropped us off in the Fred Meyers parking lot and left. Um, And we just waited for my dad to get there. Uh, It was like midnight, super unsafe. But then my dad came and got us, and it was, I want to say, like August of that year. And by that Thanksgiving, my mom had flood state. Uh, She sent my stepdad a text message stating where the car was, where the keys were, and um, she was gone. And that uh, I didn't know that that was the last time I was going to see my mom. Now, at this point, you're back in Alaska. Your mom left. How old are you now? By the time my mom left, I was 11 years old. Okay. And uh, I had no idea who my dad was other than the person that I'd been around in these small stints of time. Uh, My dad didn't know me, didn't know my brother. We just weren't around each other. The person who had raised me my whole life was just gone. And my, the person who I called dad, my stepdad, he'd been there to raise me. He was gone too. And I wasn't around my siblings anymore other than my brother. And Um, It was just a very traumatic period of time as far as just the abandonment and the confusion and the anger and the loss. Yeah, it was very confusing. (laughs) So by the age of 11, you had been through some substantial trauma and had to do things like take care of your siblings. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Talk about a gut punch. On top of all of that, then you get what you just explained. Confusion, abandonment, at least the chaos you had, the people that you knew. Yeah. And then now here you are. So I can't imagine the next couple of years were very, very good for you. Um, So the first year actually was pretty all right. It was still very confusing. Um, I was really angry at my mother. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize the effect that my, and, you know, obviously so was my dad and my stepmom, who they got married that September. My stepmom, like, their, how they talked about my mother, I didn't realize how that would affect me later. Um, they were very negative and degrading, just not very nice, which, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of nice things to say, but, you know, there was no respect at all in there. And so I allowed, you know, for me at the time, like I just fed into it. I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like I, uh, I get it. And it kind of fueled my rage for a minute. Um, but the first year was okay. You know, we did fun things. We had family game nights up until like my stepmom kind of, uh, her mental health started to deteriorate. She had her own mental health issues, um, that were not in check. And uh, that's kind of when the emotional abuse started. It was really hard because I went from being in a very noticeably chaotic home to a very behind-hidden-doors chaotic home Mm. to anybody looking in. Like, my family was middle class. They had good jobs. They were good standing in the community. Like, you know, it was just me and my brother coming from a troubled home, like, you know, that's, that was our issue. We were the issue. It wasn't mm-hmm. um, anything out of that ordinary. Right. Upstanding um, family. You should be grateful. Exactly. That type of mindset. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 
you're kissing my feet and it's not good enough, you know, <laughs> like right, right. things like that. But, um, you know, I couldn't, I went from, you know, being an A plus student all throughout elementary school. Now I'm, instead of getting to go to that charter school that I was really excited about, um, I get shuttled off to Wasilla Middle. Mm. And because, uh, you know, I can't expect my dad to commute five days a week to come get us from school. Like that didn't make any sense. And I remember when they told us that, um, I started crying. I was an incredibly emotional child. And um, that was the first time my stepmom looked at me, scoffed, and said, Odessa, shut up. Um, you need to just stop. Um, my dad didn't say anything. And, you know, I that was kind of the response to a lot of my emotions as a kid because I was very – I was a lot. Like, I was very um, explosive in my emotions. And what I know now to be – BPD, it makes sense, a uh, borderline personality disorder. And, um, you know, that's just it's a part of how my brain is. Um, I was not taught how to regulate emotions mm-hmm. by my family. Uh, so in turn, that's how I reacted. I reacted completely on emotion. And, you know, it turned into, I remember the first time I had a panic attack that I, like, knew was a panic attack. I gotten pretty triggered because I, I had a friend over and I had my window open and my dad and my brother went in, were in an argument and I heard my dad smack my brother and it instantly triggered me from when we were living with my mom. There was a lot of physical abuse um, mm-hmm. that happened and my brother ran off because he got triggered for sure. Um, and then I had my panic attack and... I begged my dad to just let me go stay at my friend's house. Like, I didn't want to be there. I didn't feel safe. And that was the first time my dad told me, I'm tired of this teenage bullshit. I got to stay at my friend's house that night. Her dad had to put me on suicide watch. It's Mm. pretty bad. I was 13, maybe 13, maybe even 12. I was really young. It was was stupid young. Um, And then my parents picked me up at like 6.30 a.m., And I got screamed at the entire way home, being told that I'm not to use my mental health as a crutch. And how embarrassing it was for my dad to uh, have to feel that way because I didn't feel safe with him. All from my stepmom, of course. She's, like, not even wearing a seatbelt, like, turned around screaming, like, inches from my face. And so that morning, I, I got grounded. And I had to go collect trash and rocks at the park across the street because I wasn't, they didn't want to look at me. And I remember repeating in my head for over an hour, don't feel so you don't get hurt. That was around the time I also had started self-harming because I was hiding my emotions on a regular basis already at that point. Like, I was in therapy, but I was too scared that the therapist would talk to my parents. So I would just kind of hide everything down. And self-harm at the time was tangible, something I could control, release. And it very much became an addiction very early on. It it was technically my first addiction. And then um, my parents became foster parents. Your parents started foster care. Did they do that for the remainder of the time that you were under their roof? Yes and no. So I remember coming home one day after my parents got their certification and there was a three-day-old baby whose mother was 
an active addiction. She was an intravenous drug user. And so that little girl uh, had a half-brother that was a ward of the state. And he actually um, went to middle school with me. So this boy who I had gone to school with moves in. And I didn't really have much of a relationship with my older brother. He never really liked me growing up. Like, we were definitely siblings, but we were not friends by Mm. any means. We had Mm. a very strained relationship. And so um, I really wanted this kid to be like my older brother, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I really wanted to get along with him. Some things got twisted in the mix, and a lot of trauma started to happen after that that was very hidden. At this point in time, I had started smoking cigarettes <laughs> mm-hmm. um, a little bit previous to him actually moving in because I missed my mom and my mom always smoked and my mom smelled like cigarettes. So when I would smoke a cigarette and I would smell the cigarette smoke, it'd remind me of my mom. So I, uh, I started smoking that summer after that boy moved in. I was very deep in my own mental health issues and wasn't getting really good help and I was very alone. And so I snuck an angry orchard from my dad's fridge and uh, split it with my friend at the time. It was so gross, we chased it with root beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so nasty. I, I still uh, am good. <laughs> now, you know, now if you were to hand me one, which please no thank you, but I could drink it like apple juice. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the time it was like, why do adults like this? I do not understand. Um, but what I did know is that it changed how people felt and it changed how they acted. Growing up, a lot of the times when my mom would drink, I would see her get happy. So, and I just wanted to be happy. And then, so that was that first first drink. And then, um, the second time I drank was with my foster brother. There was a lot of stuff going on. Um, so he took me to his friend's house, and we had been smoking weed. And um, so, already lack of judgment. I was barely fourteen at the time. His friend, you know, goes inside his house and brings out like just an entire like Walmart bag full of just bottles of liquor. That was the first time I got blackout drunk. The first time I ever had hard alcohol, I got super blackout drunk. That was also the first night that my foster brother had propositioned that if I do such and such activity, he would give me drugs or alcohol or whatever. Like he could get, you know, weed from his friend and he would share with me if I did that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the t- that was, you know, I said no, and he didn't push too hard at that time, but eventually it got to a point where there wasn't saying no. I didn't really have that opportunity, and if I did, then I was treated like the bitch. And so that was, that ended up, I spiraled really hard. Through that, there was a lot more stuff that happened um, in that realm of things. I was drinking often, smoking cigarettes often, slacking on classes doing all these things. I ended up in North Star when I was 14, uh, December 2014. I was in North Star Behavioral Health, and I was there for, uh, in total, I believe it was nine months. I spent three months in acute, and then I went to RTC for six months. Mm. Uh, it was it was a very complicated time. Um, my dad, I think, in those nine months came to see me like three or five times, so it was really a it was really um, just segregating. At this time, my uh, parents actually still had no idea what was going on with my foster brother or anything involved in that. Um, mm-hmm. They had found out that I had been having sex 
And that was kind of like, that's what they knew. Like they knew of one person and a possible two, two people in total and not anything else or anything like that. Um, but anyway, I ended up getting out and was really jacked is that like my dad, like I had lost respect for him the day that, uh, my dad decided that on my first outing, who's going to be there? The guy that I lost my virginity to, like, I didn't get the whole dad, dad shows up with a shotgun kind of a thing. I got the dad literally hung a picture of said boy with you and your brother standing together on your wall right before you get to your room. So you get to look at that every single time you go to bed <laughs> and every single day you wake up to leave. Um, wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get that experience. I didn't get protected in that way. It wasn't, that was also when I was 14 years old, after he found out I was having sex, um, my dad forced me to take my first pregnancy test um, with him standing directly in front of me, and um, it turned out to be a false positive. Um, and my dad, who was a very, um, you know, in light of everything going on politically right now, like it's kind of crazy, but, you know, my dad was a very conservative man. He didn't, I guess he was in the medical field, but he did not necessarily believe in abortion and being 14 years old, terrified um, and having your father scream at you, I'm taking you to the abortion clinic tomorrow. I'm getting that thing out of you because you're a fucking slut. It was really degrading and my dad denies it to this day. I tried to confront him about that later when he was trying to like tell me his views on abortion and stuff. And I was like, well, you wanted me to get an abortion. And he was like, no, I didn't. I was like, want a bit? <laughs> like, you don't really forget that. You know, you don't forget that that situation. My dad just told me that I was lying. You know, that's fine. That's my dad's truth, but I know my truth and what was reality for me. You know, not not to interrupt you, that's no, very good. typical in those situations where you have somebody who's, you know, an air quote, upstanding citizen, mm -hmm. and they're confronted with something they did that if people found out they did would, you know, completely destroy their identity. Absolutely, yeah. I know some people very close to me who went through some similar things, so, and, and I'm sure you have developed a support system now where people believe you. Yes. Um, and they don't think that you are lying, so uh, yeah. I'm glad that you confirmed it because I was going to say if you don't, um, you do have people in this building who believe that that happened to you. So I appreciate that a lot. You know, once again, at this point, I did not have any respect for my dad. He didn't, he didn't protect me like he said he was going to because it was my fault that everything was happening to me the way that it was. It wasn't that he wasn't home to know what was going on, and when he was home, he was drunk, whether or not he wants to, to admit that today. You know, like he just wasn't, he was checked out mentally, like, I can't say that I was, like, neglected or anything. Like, I had f clothes on my back, food on my table, roof over my head, bills were paid. I got, you know, to go on vacation, things like that. Like, it's not like I was going without the way that I was when I was living with my mother. So, um, I didn't, I didn't, once again, I didn't know any different. Um, I only knew different when I would tell my friends, and they would be shocked at some of the things going on. It was really hard for me to process. So once I got out of North Star, 
Um, it wasn't very long until things started back up again, except this time I had no friends. I had no social network. I wasn't allowed to use the phone. I wasn't allowed to use the computer. I wasn't allowed to... I was homeschooled, and I wasn't allowed to take on-site classes. So I was home 24-7. And my parents were never home because, once again, uh, like, I wouldn't even get, like, a hello, how are you? Like, I, I was very isolated. My my foster brother was still in school. He got to go to high school and have a high school experience, and I didn't. So I was, you know, I was alone most of the time. I was expected to do my schoolwork on my own, you know. I was expected to do the now larger list of chores that was left for me because I had the time now, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wouldn't, like... The parent that was supposed to be home would normally not be home until, like, 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, um, when we were supposed to be in bed by, like, 10. So, you know, a lot of shit was able to happen throughout that time that went really unnoticed. You know, eventually I, it became, you know, I'm, I almost dropped out of high school, frankly, that first year because my foster brother had convinced me because he, he eventually ended up in the homeschool I was in as well. That was my sophomore year. I had a GPA of like 1.2. <laughs> it was really bad, you know, going from a decent student to completely failing out of high school. But then my junior year came around and my parents allowed me to take on-site classes because I had proven myself at this point, right? Not that they had, I just got way more sneaky. So like they, once again, turned a blind eye, whatever. I got to go to Wasilla High for two classes and I got to do a couple on-site at at Matsu Central, some classes there. And I was in this class called Human Relations with a wonderful teacher named Deb Haynes. It was basically like group therapy for high schoolers. (laughs) Um, It was really interesting, actually. Like we learned about meditation and we had to do this timelines assignment where we literally talked about like our life and the things that have happened. I learned about you know, making a mental box, right? Like building that box to be able to put your stuff in and like mm-hmm. shove it to the side. Like that's that's where I learned about that for the first time. And yeah, I, I got my first job that year working at Matsu Central as a barista. And I figured out that if I worked hard enough during the school week and I went to work and did all the things right, then I could go to my friend's houses on the weekend and get completely wasted. They didn't care so long as I showed up at eight o'clock on Sundays. And, you know, obviously I couldn't smell like anything, so I had to you know, make sure that, that was neat and tidy and all that jazz. I had worked hard enough my junior year to catch up on all of my sophomore classes and credits and actually do enough that I needed to do very bare minimum for my senior year so I could spend more time working, saving up to leave my parents' house, mm-hmm. which was awesome, right? Yeah, like That was the goal. Uh, so I only took like a couple classes. I believe they were all elective. Uh, come into the second semester of my uh, senior year, everything that me and my foster brother had been hiding from my parents um, came to light. Just everything. The, the sexual abuse, the sexual trauma, the lying, the sneaking around, the substance abuse, the I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine situation. I've had therapists call it. Basically, I was was my pimp <laughs> and I was his prostitute so I don't know how I feel about that uh, comparison uh, so to speak this time it was my foster brother's turn to go to North Star <laughs> so now it's just me in the home with my little sisters 
and I very rarely see my parents at this point. I think I see them in passing, like, consistently. Like, it would be, like, a very superficial, like, tension could be cut with, like, I don't even, like, like a feather. <laughs> like, wow. if that makes sense. Like, it was so tense every single time and the anxiety and the, the, the fear every single time I was around my parents. And to be cornered in a bathroom and you have all these things going on and everything's sh- you know, being shown to light, all of this stuff going on, and then you're being cornered in the bathroom by your stepmother being told, do I need to go make a police report? Is this actually rape? Like, it's a yes or no answer. There's no black and white. And I know now that there's very much a black and white. There's so much of a gray area when it comes to sexual abuse and harassment and um, coercion and all of these things that I was too young to understand and her as a medical professional in the line of work she's in should know and did not and if Mm. she did then she turned a blind eye because it was happening in her home which was you know it sucked (laughs) to say the least of Um, course and you know I was you know did as I was always told to do and I was trying to make the family good and I was trying to patch everything together and be the perfect kid once again to try to make everything right and you know, but my substance abuse had kind of gone crazy at this point, and it wasn't being hidden very well. Eventually, my parents just, they gave up. I was allowed to go to friends' houses. The longer I could stay there, the better, because the less they had to deal with me. When it came to close, to, it was I was a couple months from graduating. I don't know why, but for some reason, we had to, I believe I got told that if I wanted to have a sleepover that weekend, and it was my friend at the time's birthday, if I wanted to have a sleepover, it needed to be at our house, which was first off weird, super weird. They never wanted us home, or me home at the very least by this point, because mm-hmm. I'm the only you know, teenager left. And so my, me and my friends devised a plan, right? So we figured out how to get alcohol that night. We figured out how to weed and it wasn't too far into like our partying of that night when my dad figured out what we were doing we got into a very heated argument and he there was you know he pushed me and you know I'm not sure if it was the fact that my friends were standing there or the fact that he was acting the way that he was in front of my friends the embarrassment the adrenaline just everything else going on I exploded I finally like started to like fight back as far as you know verbally and you know, not just take it anymore. My dad accused me of being on like meth (laughs) because I was fighting back. (laughs) Um, Mm. He threatened to punch me, like all these things. And then he told me, he was like, you're going to start paying rent and you're grounded. And I was like, I'm not going to pay rent somewhere I don't want to live. And he was like, then you can leave. So I left. All of us at this point have been kicked out by the, or all the teenagers have been kicked out by the age of 17. And so I went and stayed a couple nights with my stepdad and his now wife, um, who's the person I call mom today, and, well, one of my moms. And um, then I ended up moving in with my best friend at the time because her mom really wanted me to finish high school because I would have had to transfer with, like, half a credit left. And I was in the process of doing a CNA class to get my certification to take that with me. Um, after I left high school and so I went and I stayed with her and that's just high school (laughs) so yeah wow what point did you cross paths with my house let's let's go to that point now all right so I got 
to my house um, when I was 21 years old. So roughly three years later. I had been uh, in and out of psychiatric units at this point. Um, I was very deep in addiction and had no control of my mental health in any way. I was going in and out of psychosis, having super bad paranoid thoughts, and I just thought, you know, like, I just need to get out of my parents' house. So I was living with my stepdad and my his wife. So I and my siblings again, and I was there for about a year um, until things got really bad for me mentally and ended up um, going to the psych ward <laughs> three times in about four months uh, my brain was telling me things were happening that I um, that I still don't know whether or not they were real. And so I had heard about my house actually when I was around 16. I had a friend come through here. Um, mm. He did your guys' housing. So I knew you guys had housing. And then at this point as well, I had a friend who was in the psych ward with me. <laughs> um, she was also applying for your guys' program. And I do uh, remember that. Yep. And it just, uh, it ended up working. I knew about this place. I didn't know all of what it could offer. And then, but I, I knew I just needed to be out of my parents' house, right? So I made the application, had that filled out and everything. I did my interview and I got told that, you know, I could come out. Um, I could come stay with you guys. I just had to be sober, which I agreed to at the time. Looking back, I had no intention of being sober, <laughs> um, to say the least. I, I had, like, one night where I was, like, in between, right? So I got out of the hospital. I went and packed my stuff. And then my friend who was actually with me the day that I got kicked out, it was the girl whose birthday it was on the night that I got kicked out of my dad's house. She came and picked me up, and we I stayed the night at her house. I got very wasted that night. Because it was like one last hurrah, right? <laughs> like, yep. you know, I just turned 21. I wasn't even 21 for like a month. Like, I, I was, it was crazy. Yeah, that's when my house got into the picture. And then I was not the best client, so to speak. <laughs> so you moved into transitional housing. I did. And how long were you in transitional housing? In total, I want to say it was less than three months. It was just that summer from. Around June 1st till, not even, it was June 1st to like July 20 something, July 27th, I believe. To say the least, um, I got introduced to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous through my house. While in transitional living, I had one of the house mom, the house mom at the time, she noticed I was struggling really bad and she asked me one night, do you want to go to a meeting? And I said yes. And because I didn't want to be home, mm -hmm. so I was drunk, so I didn't want to be home because <laughs> continuing to mess up my life and not wanting to take accountability. So I, uh, I got into, um, I got into the rooms that night and I ended up having to leave early because I was given how it works, which is the longest thing you have to read at the beginning of a meeting. The woman who was chairing that meeting actually ended up being my my first sponsor. I asked her that night, and I went to, she didn't respond to me that day. I went again the next night, and uh, she looked me dead in the face, and she said, are you absolutely willing to do anything and everything to stop drinking alcohol? And I said, yes, because, <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> like, um, I was not ready. Um, at this time, 
also, I was really just going downhill and I had been given the opportunity to uh, get into uh, inpatient treatment through True North Recovery. Mm-hmm. And uh, the case managers, like you guys really just fully, I mean, really plowed that train, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> like I remember Justin was calling them almost every day, if not every day at one point, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I was... I don't even know how to, that was a hot mess. Let's just say that. Struggling. Um, struggling significantly. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like, you know, and it wasn't just one of you guys. It was literally all of you guys. Um, you know, from the night that I lost my grandfather uh, to the day, the morning <laughs> of me going to Vita Nova, which is the residential program through True North. It was just all of you guys. Like, there for me, trying to hold me accountable, which I would not listen to. <laughs> I was more than willing to cry and tell you how it was everybody else's fault, first off. <laughs> um, and everything else was the problem. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then I was to actually admit that I really did have a problem. You know, I was, uh, you know, when I when I went to Vita Nova, I was introduced to, really introduced to AA. Like, mm-hmm. I... Um, I was, and also like another thing was I uh, at one point had been evicted from the transitional living due mm-hmm. to my actions. Um, but I was told that because I had like a week left or two weeks left before I got into Vita Nova, and Justin had told me, just stay sober <laughs> and you can stay here. So I just got more sneaky um, and stayed less time in housing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and it, Looking back, it's it's all good to chuckle at, but it, it was really sad. I was I was bringing a lot of people down with me. Um, it wasn't just me that was struggling in that house, and we I I was not a good friend. But you know, I did. I got into Vita Nova, and I was there for about a month. And then, who would have thought that uh, I wasn't ready to be willing yet? And um, <laughs> long story short, I got asked to leave that program, but I was able to reapply in thirty days. So I went and stayed with my mom and my stepdad again for those 30 days. And uh, then I went back. And then I fell in love again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what actually ended up having me leave that time was not, uh, it it was my actions. I had relapsed on self-harm. And that program is a 3.1. They are not set up uh, Mm -hmm. legally, liability, none none of that. They're not trained for that at all. Mm not not their drive so I got medically discharged that night and I went and stayed with my first sponsor which was it was interesting <laughs> to say the least <laughs> um you know I was I was very much a dry drunk at this point um I wasn't too into recovery but I wasn't too out of recovery either I had relapsed like once or twice for like a single night right I remember telling you that one day I was like I have 30 days, but I relapsed like twice. And you're like, okay, but like how many days did you relapse in that relapse? And I was like, just one. And you were like, see, that's good. And I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know? um, so that was cool to hear. Like you guys were always still super supportive. Like every time I came in and like that always meant a lot to me because I thought that I really, really messed up. And it, like I did, but like I, I, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like I, I've just been taught that, you know, when you mess up, you don't get to have good people in your life. And you guys have stayed in my life, you know, one way or another. And uh, it's really cool for me. I had talked to uh, another one of the case managers and 
you know, I was just like, I really want to get into treatment again. I just, this place isn't right for me. This isn't what I need. I really just need recovery and I need that. Like, I just need a place to stay because it was middle of spring, super sloshy, gross, cold, mm-hmm. freezing out. And, you know, I was allowed to uh, stay on the couch. There wasn't a bed at the time, but I was allowed to stay on the couch, which meant a significant amount to me. And I did. I tried really hard to stay sober. <laughs> I promise you I tried really hard to stay sober um, mm-hmm. for like a solid day. I believe that. But, you know, I, I didn't have a solution in any way. And I I uh, I got to my jumping off point for sure there. I was avoiding you guys like the plague. <laughs> I would not come in. Um, and nope. I was able to stay for... Uh, about two weeks instead of just that weekend. I was in the process of getting into treatment. I got reassessed at True North Recovery at a 3.5 this time instead of a 3.1. I started doing the paperwork for Set Free, kind of doing the paperwork for that. I tried. I really did. I didn't know how to do it and (laughs) asked because every time I needed to ask, I was already stoned, so (laughs) I didn't want to come (laughs) into the building. Uh, So I, I, I would stay out like as late as possible. Like I literally would just come back to sleep and then to wake up to leave because I didn't want to put any, I didn't want to continue that cycle that I had previously, but I didn't know how to stop the cycle I was in. So, you know, and it wasn't, I was, I was going to meetings like I, and I had also gotten a different sponsor by this point, someone who I really connected with when I was in the rooms and she's my kind of crazy all the way. Um, At one point during that two weeks, I wanted, I was so desperate to stay sober. I just wanted to stay sober and I couldn't like I I was literally like so I called her and I was like hey I called you before I drank this time and she's like first off proud of you for that uh (laughs) second how can I help and I was like I can't I can't stay sober tonight what do I do and uh, she's like go get your book and read for five minutes and I was like okay I can do that she's like all right call me back in five minutes so I hung up the phone and I stared at the same sentence for about three minutes and then I scrolled through Facebook for about two and then I called her and she was like, so how'd it go? I was like, honestly, I can't, I can't even hear it. I can't read it. I can't, I can't focus. All I can think about right now is that obsession. Like, um, so she was like, get your shoes on. It was like 1130 at night. Keep in mind, curfew at transitional housing is like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, she came and picked me up and drove me to the parking lot at high noon, which is a meeting here in town. And um, she read me the first two chapters of the big book and I stayed sober that night which was a miracle in itself. I did not stay sober the next night. But I got it finally in my head that I was able to stay sober if I did something that she told me to do. And so two weeks had gone by of me staying in transitional housing again, and I get a text from one of the case managers saying that, uh, hey, it's been two weeks. It was supposed to be a weekend. You need to come in, and we need to talk about this. You know, we figure out what the next step is. Um, and the previous day, an old staff member from Vita Nova, I had ran into her at um, a meeting, and she had told me that there was a crisis program through Set Free, and uh, that where she worked now. And so I, um, yeah, I ended up uh, calling her that next morning because I was bright and early stoned that morning and didn't want to come into the office. <laughs> And because all you guys know when I'm not sober. (laughs) And um, Mm -hmm. so I called her and she got me in contact with the program manager there at that program um, that day. 
And she told me, you can come in tomorrow at 10 a.m. And so I packed up all my stuff that night. I slept one more day. I had been sober from alcohol at this point in time for three days, which was an extent in itself, or two mm -hmm. days by the time. And then I, I went to that crisis program, and um, I got to stay in this beautiful little cottage for like all by myself for 10 days. And during that 10 days, they helped me uh, finish the application for Set Free and then also apply for this place called Dina Akoi, which is through South Central Foundation. And it was a 90-day program versus like Set Free's like six-month mm -hmm. to nine-month program. And I was like, well, this one sounds better. <laughs> and, um, Always. You know, always less time. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made. And I was able to really just focus on myself. I realized um, in that two weeks that I was staying at my house again that, you know, I, I did not want that life anymore that I had. And, like, I saw the lives you guys had. I saw the lives that people had in the rooms. Like, and I knew, I knew what to do. I just didn't know how to do it. So I finally just started doing it instead of trying to overthink it. You know, now I have... From that day that I stopped drinking then, um, I have I had about 10 days sober when I I was in crisis recovery program for seven days because I had 10 days sober by the time that I left. So today's day 115. Ooh. I, Ooh. Right? Before the most amount of sober time I had put together was about 68 days. So I'm almost double right now. That's excellent. And the night and day difference of where I was at that 68 days compared to where I am today is significantly different in working a program and, you know, finding my higher power. Like, my higher power is very different than I think most people's. Mm -hmm. um, and that's perfect for me because, you know, that's what I need in my life. But my higher power showed up for me in so many ways between, you know, introducing me to my house to, you know, Freaking my house having the grace and understanding that you guys do to allow me back for that two weeks. Like, <laughs> because if I hadn't gotten back there, I don't even know where I'd be today. You know, like I, I genuinely don't. And, you know, being able to come in here and like tell you guys thank you for everything that you've done and like genuinely mean that and be able to show you that I'm, I'm here differently today. I like, I'm, I'm so much better. Like I don't wake up wanting to cry or not wake up like I wake up excited about the next day I go to sleep prepared like I I have a life today that I don't know I would have been able to have if I didn't get sober the way that I did and I didn't have you guys helping me along I just I don't know the way that life would have worked I think life worked out exactly the way that it was supposed to um by divine intervention and I'm just I'm so grateful so freaking grateful um, and I'm not looking at you because I'm trying not to cry. So, <laughs> no um, worries. That is why we do what we do. Yeah. What if you had to pick one thing, one moment, one memory, one experience, one feeling? What was the most impactful thing has been with my house? Okay, I got like two. I can't pick between them That's because okay. they're both very significant to me. The day that I uh, had to go to the hospital. Um, when my grandfather passed away, you know, you just, you and Kira coming and getting me, talking me through that, taking me to the hospital because I refused to get on an ambulance. And, you know, you, I remember vaguely asking you to hold my hand and you held my hand and um, just walked me through that. And then the next day, me being so embarrassed <laughs> and so just baffled at my own, at my own self and just being... Just, just being, you know, 
shown love and grace and kindness um, and not being belittled or, you know, pushed to the side or told, well, we gave you that chance, right? You fucked it up, so, you know, or actually the night that I got technically evicted from housing, I came home super intoxicated once again, and my friend who I was not helping in any way, she ended up having to go to the hospital that night, and uh, Justin had to come back to the house, and he um, he let us know, like, you guys are done. <laughs> It's over. Like it's been months of this at this mm-hmm. point. Like I can't can't keep letting this happen. And I totally understand looking back. Uh, but at that night, me being super drunk and thinking this was the best idea in the world, I locked myself in a bathroom and um, tried to end my life. Um, not very successfully in any mm-hmm. way. But mm-hmm. um, the compassion and the kindness once again from Kira and from Justin. Um, like Justin helped clean up my wrists he bandaged me up and he told me like you can't keep going back because I was like I just tried to kill myself send me to Providence because that was my drunk brain's Mm -hmm. way of like how am I not going to be homeless right Mm -hmm. um and um he's like you can't keep going back to this and I'm going to pray for you and we're gonna help you but you have to let us help you that is really like those two memories have really uh like driven me for a minute and shown me that kindness exists love exists and it's not because you have to necessarily earn it and it it just it means the world to me it really does um and it helps me every day like when I get really low on myself and I'm like oh I should be doing this this way it's like or when I get judgmental towards other people it's like no I don't have a right to be judgmental. Look at where I was and these people were still able to care for me and, you know, not hate me and, you know, show me kindness and genuine just care, you know, and being able to come back the other day and, like, tell you guys, I graduated treatment, I have all these (laughs) days sober and, like, you know, I'm in I'm in sober living now. I'm in outpatient treatment. I'm about to get a job here soon. I get a car this weekend, by the way. What? Yeah, I get my own car. Congratulations. Um, like I get to start school in the fall. I get to, I get to have all of these things. And um, you know, I would have, like, frankly, I would have never gone to treatment, like, in the first place if you guys hadn't suggested it. I would have never done any of these things um had you guys not been there and it's just it's uh i have all these things today genuinely because of your guys's grace and kindness and uh, your willingness to not give up on me which i haven't had before 